what Paul asks for from Philemon is so radical in the first century world that the only way you could actually appreciate and understand what he's asking for is if you understand all of his theology beneath it. Like this is like the pinnacle of his theology is when a master and a slave are beloved brothers together in the church and figure that out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Word Processing's Cover to Cover series, in which our goal is to move through all 66 books of the Bible, one by one, in order to grow not only in our understanding of them individually, but also in our understanding of how they fit together as an inspired and cohesive whole. Today, we welcome to the podcast Dr. Adam Copenhaver. Dr. Copenhaver currently serves as the pastor of Grace Church of Mabton in Mabton, Washington, where his ministry focuses especially on the teaching and preaching of God's Word. He has published a number of works, including a commentary on the book of the Bible that we're going to discuss today, which is Paul's letter to Philemon. Dr. Copenhaver, welcome back. It's good to speak with you again. Thanks for helping us out. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. When we come to Paul's little letter to Philemon, where do we find ourselves in the Bible? What's its historical and canonical context? And maybe how does Philemon relate to Colossians as well? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that last question, especially. Uh, Philemon comes at the end of Paul's letters. It's the shortest of his letters. Uh, what is it, 25 verses long? Not it doesn't even have chapters in it, just verses. And, and probably the most, it's one of his more personal letters. I suppose you could say it's the most personal of his letters or seems to be very embedded in a very uh, personal situation. Uh, historical context is actually very closely connected to Colossians. And most people wouldn't realize this because they're separated. They're not right next to each other in the biblical canon, in the order of the books of the Bible. But if you if you look at them pretty closely, there's some overlap between them. When Paul gives his greetings, for example, from the people who are with him, it's pretty much the same people who are with him. And we know that Paul always had people coming and going. And so that's kind of an indicator that maybe this were written more or less at the same time. But then the real key is in Colossians chapter 4, when Paul sends his letter to the Colossians, he introduces the, the letter carriers, the two gentlemen who are carrying the letter with him, one of whom is a guy named Tychicus. And the second one in chapter 4, verse 9 of Colossians is a guy named Onesimus. And Paul says about Onesimus that he is one of you, uh, meaning that Onesimus is a Colossian. He's from Colossae. Then we come to the letter to Philemon, and Paul's writing to this guy, Philemon. That's a man's name. And Philemon is hosting a church in his house, we find out. Paul says it's also to the church in your house. And then later on in the letter, we find out that this letter is about a guy named Onesimus and the conflict Philemon is having with Onesimus. And so we kind of you know, do a little detective work and put those pieces all together. And we can say that Philemon is in Colossae that he has a church meeting in his house in Colossae, and that Onesimus, who was the topic or a key player in the letter to Philemon, was also with Paul carrying the letter to the that Paul wrote to the Colossians, to, um, to the Colossians. And so you put those pieces together, and it seems like the church in Philemon's house is the church to Colossae, that Onesimus carried two letters from Paul to the church in Colossae, to Philemon, the letter to the Colossians, and also the letter to Philemon. And then the part of the discussion is, well, do you do that on two separate occasions or on the same occasion? 
And I like to think on the same occasion because of the coworkers, again, being a lot of the same coworkers and some things like that. Plus, I think it works pretty nicely for how uh, Philemon works and how the two letters work together, which maybe we can get into. That's kind of the historical uh, context to it. That's helpful. And you kind of introduced us to some of the major characters in the book as well. So maybe let's turn to the conflict. Like what is the conflict being addressed by Paul in this short little note? And what's its structure if there is one? Yeah, so it's very short. <laughs> so so Paul, there's basically three players in the letter to Philemon. There's Paul, who is writing the letter. There's Philemon, who is the recipient of the letter. And then there's Onesimus, who is kind of the, the topic of the letter. And when you read through the letter, there it becomes very clear that there is some kind of conflict between Philemon and Onesimus, and that Philemon and Onesimus have a prior relationship. Philemon is a master, and Philemon is a slave. So in, in the first century world, that means Philemon was the head of a household, and he owns the home, he has the business, he has probably a wife and kids or family and so on. And he has a group of slaves that work for him. And we find that Philemon is also a Christian, that he's had a prior relationship with Paul. Paul will speak about how Philemon has been a partner with Paul in ministry, how Philemon has blessed Paul. Paul rejoices because of all the good things Philemon has done for the gospel. But now it becomes clear that Onesimus is on his way from Paul to Philemon, which means at some point Onesimus went from Philemon to Paul, and that there is some kind of conflict between them because Paul is making an appeal to Philemon in the letter for how he ought to receive Onesimus back, welcoming him back, forgiving him, restoring him, these sorts of things. And so kind of you, we only have this one piece of the whole communication, this whole scenario, but you kind of read between the lines and there must have been some kind of conflict um, between them. And we can kind of try to tease out some possibilities. Uh, if you look at verse 11 of Philemon, Paul says to Philemon, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And so Paul seems to be saying to Philemon, you regarded Onesimus as if he was useless. You know, sometimes we, we, we jump to Onesimus must have wronged Philemon. Because Paul will say, well, if he has any debts, forgive his debts or charge it to my account. And so perhaps Onesimus has wronged Philemon in some way. Perhaps he's stolen from him or something like that. But sometimes we let Philemon off the hook a little bit too much. And Paul seems to be saying, Philemon, you've kind of, maybe you've treated Onesimus like he's useless. And you can imagine how a master could treat a slave if they think that they're useless and how they could run down a slave or something like that. And on the flip side, maybe Onesimus deserved that. Maybe he wasn't a very good slave. Maybe he didn't work hard and so on. And maybe he has wronged Philemon. So end of the day, there's some kind of conflict. Onesimus has gone and in all likelihood not run away and stumbled upon Paul, but probably sought Paul out for help in this situation. Hey, I, I don't know what to do. I, my master is treating me so poorly. And, and then we know this could slaves could do this in the first century world. They could when they had conflict, they could flee. And then it wasn't necessarily considered as if they were running away. If they went to somebody they knew, their master knew and would listen to and made an appeal, hey, can you help me fix things with my master so I can go back and be a good slave? And so it seems like maybe that's what Onesimus has done. Gone to Paul, said, hey, my master respects you and I know that. 
and I need help because we're locked in conflict and we can't find our way out. Can you appeal to Philemon on my behalf and help fix this? So something like that has has happened in their in their conflict. So we have this conflict, whatever it was. How does Paul go about confronting and solving the issue between Philemon and Onesimus? And in what does he root his request? Yeah, uh, and it's fascinating, just fascinating to to read. And this the letter to Philemon is like this this small prism. Like you can look at it from so many angles and just keep teasing out and teasing out and teasing out what Paul is doing. It's it's just absolutely fascinating. So Paul, um, oh, where to begin? <laughs> I mean, first, Paul cares for Onesimus. We find out that Onesimus has, Paul says that in verse 10, that he has become a father to Onesimus in Paul's imprisonment. And then he says, I'm sending him back to you in verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart, <laughs> is how he describes Onesimus. I mean, Paul Paul fell in love with Onesimus, this, this slave and this trauma and this situation. And, and Paul cared for him. Paul shared the gospel with him. Paul became his spiritual father. Onesimus gave his heart to Christ. And Paul cares deeply for, for Onesimus. So that becomes part of the foundation to it. But then Paul also cares for Philemon and for the, relationship, for the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And kind of like we talked about with the book of Colossians, this is why I think the two pair together so nicely. I think when, when Paul wanted to send Philemon back or send Onesimus back to Philemon, Paul actually wrote two letters. This is my theory and other people's too. I shouldn't say it's like I came up with this, but he wrote two letters. He wrote the letter to the Colossians and then he wrote the letter to, the, to Philemon. And then he sends these letters with Onesimus, along with Tychicus, to the church in Colossae. Oh, this is just so much fun to think about. To the church in Colossae, which meets in Philemon's house. And so you can you start imagining this scene that Tychicus shows up in Colossae and word gets out. There's a letter from the apostle Paul written to us. Like, this is exciting stuff. So church gathers in Philemon's home. And now this church... And we know, we know that the, the letters are read to the church because Paul says that in Colossians chapter four, this letter is being read among you, then have read to the Laodiceans. He opens Philemon by saying this letter is not just to Philemon, but also to the church in your house. This letter is to be read to Philemon in front of the whole church. So now the church gathers in Philemon's house. Colossae, by the way, is a small town, not a big town. Everybody knows everybody. I pastor in, in a church, a church in a town of 2000 people. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody, people come and tell me, did you know about this conflict? Everybody else knows before I know anything. Okay. The church gathers in Philemon's house. Everybody knows Onesimus has been gone for months. And here's Onesimus standing in the room in Philemon's house. The church gathered. Tychicus stands up and says, okay, I've got two letters to read for you. And this is Paul's approach. This is what Paul sets up in this, in this scenario. Stands up and reads the letter to the Colossians, which we talked about in the earlier episode. Supremacy of Christ in all things. One body. Unity of the body in Christ. You're going to have to put away anger. You're going to have to bear with one another. Forgive one another. Whatever offenses you have. And this is going to apply not just in the church on Sunday, but household code. Guess what? On Monday, in how masters treat slaves and slaves treat masters. You're going to have to figure all these things out. So he gives a theological lesson. The implications. Okay, so Tychicus finishes that letter. I mean, you can almost... Imagine like the um, 
the tension in the room. Like, like, where is this going with this with Philemon sitting here and Onesimus sitting here and like daggers or whatever? And then here comes a letter to Philemon. And Tichka says, okay, now to Philemon and the church in your house. And now we have Paul's appeal directly to Philemon. And Paul is in the letter to Philemon, he's presuming that Philemon has what we what some people would call theological vision, that he has put all this theology into his brain. Paul's saying, Paul's reminded of Paul's been partnered with him. It's it's like he's almost like he's saying, Philemon, you know all this. Let me remind you of all these things about Christ and all these theological truths and all that. Put it fresh in your mind. So these will be like the lenses now that you're looking through as you're looking across the room in your own house at Onesimus and figuring out what you're going to do. And then Paul makes his appeal and says, now I'm not going to give you a command, Philemon. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to appeal to you. I'm going to appeal to you that Onesimus has given his life to Christ. And now you've got to figure out how you're going to welcome him. And I'm going to appeal to you that you ought to receive him no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. And now go figure out what that means. <laughs> you know, like mic drop. Good luck to you. By the way, Paul says, I'm going to come visit you in a little while and check in and see how this played out and sets them off to the races. So that's Paul's strategy. And, and by the way, Paul, we, I, we often forget this, Paul um, expresses his confidence in Philemon when he sends Onesimus with the letter. Paul doesn't send the letter and say, now Philemon, give me your response, and then I'll decide if I trust you with my beloved Onesimus. He says, no, this is the confidence I have in you, Philemon, that you can figure this out. You can work this out with Onesimus. I'm putting him right back into your house. and appealing to you to do the Christian thing, not the Greco-Roman master thing in this situation. Isn't that amazing? I could keep going and going and going. You're, I probably wasn't supposed to talk that long. You're probably supposed to ask me more questions, but but that's that's what Paul sets up. That's how he's making his appeal to it. No, you paint a vivid picture and you just think the letter gets read and all the eyes in the room turn slowly onto Philemon to see what he's going to do. It's got to be an awkward moment. No pressure, Philemon. No pressure. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to put the the screws to you, and you're going to, I trust, make the right. Yeah, Paul decision. doesn't have a very good sense of private affairs. Like this, this is my private business, Paul, that I'm trying to work out in my business. Paul's like, no, it's a church issue. You got the whole church there, and they're going to, and and not just they're there to judge you. They're there to help you. They're there to be like. They're there to be that team, that practice to help figure this out with you. So this letter, it's short and it's very specific. And like you said, very personal. But we know that all scripture is God-breathed and useful to us, to us today. So I'm wondering if you can help us apply this short but heavy text appropriately to our lives, Dr. Copenhaver. There are, I mean, so many, so many layers, so many layers who like, you know, like, like the prism, you know, of how this how this applies. And I mean, I just think about it from so many different, so many different rich angles, what Paul does with the, the way that he plays out the implication of the unity of the body. You know, back in Colossians chapter three, verse 11, where Paul said in the body, there is no such thing as Jew or Greek slave or free circumcised, uncircumcised, no such thing as slave or free. What does Paul actually mean by that? Then Philemon comes along and like, here it is. And he, he humanizes Onesimus. 
he he treats Ones, somebody a slave who is treated as if they're just an object. They're they're less than human. They're they have the value of a cow or something like that. And and Paul says no. He has full human dignity as a believer in Christ. Like he is every bit as exalted as is Philemon. And he humbles Philemon and says, you may be a master, but not in the church, not in church. Maybe on Monday you own, you own the house and, and Odesmus works for you, not in the church, your brothers in Christ. And, and that foundational principle where he says, now go figure that out, can, can be applied in so many different ways to us. Go into the church and figure that out. Figure that out when the poor person walks into the church that the world looks down on, the immigrant walks into the church. Figure that out even, like, again, I live in a small town. I don't know how this plays out maybe in Toronto or other places. In the small town I live in, it's not uncommon to have the guy who owns the business with the guy who's at the bottom of the totem pole, an employee in the business, sitting in the same room in a church service. Brothers, sisters in Christ together. Figure that out. Figure that out. The person who is impoverished and has made very poor life choices, but now is learning to follow Christ with a person who's very successful and has made good, quote unquote, life choices, who's learning to follow Christ. Figure that out where you're not one better than the other. And that's just a, a learning lesson that is constant. Try to figure out how do we love one another like that in the church and treat one another like that in the church. I can keep going, but that's that's the the overarch to me the overarching yeah. lesson. Welcome one another, not as fill in the blank slave, whatever it is, but as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, hmm. and figure out what that means. So, without jumping back into Colossians again, when you say figure that out, are there any clues in Philemon how we can today figure that out? I understand. I want to treat someone in my congregation, in the church, as Philemon's being invited to treat Onesimus. I want that. Are there any steps that I can take, whether it's in my heart or practically, that I can move toward figuring that out and living out this message of Philemon? Yeah, so Philemon is, um, a, a one way of thinking of it, Philemon is like the apex. And then there's, but there's the foundation, there's a substructure below it. Mm. And be, you know, with Colossians of Philemon being carried simultaneously, like I've kind of set it out. That means that the Colossians is kind of setting the foundation. And then Philemon is like, here's the, here's the apex of how this plays out. There's um, another scholar, N.T. Wright, but he's kind of a well-known New Testament scholar. He wrote his magnum opus on Paul's theology. It's two volumes, like a thousand or 1200 pages long. If you read that, and I can't say I've read the whole thing, but if you read the first hundred pages, where he is writing, trying to cover all the gamut of Paul's, what does Paul say in all of his letters put all together? He starts with Philemon and he sets up this situation in Philemon. And he, he basically says uh, that what Paul asks for from Philemon is so radical in the first century world that the only way you could actually appreciate and understand what he's asking for is if you understand all of his theology beneath it. Like this is like the, the pinnacle of his theology is when a master and a slave are beloved brothers together in the church and figure that out. And so, so to flip that, what that, what that would mean then is if we want, well, how do I, how do I get there? How do I grow to that point? 
Well, the letter to Philemon is short, it, it's, it's, but it's assuming that you've got all of this substructure beneath it. And so that's where it, it sends us back to Colossians. It sends us back into, and to your right, we say back into all of Paul's letters. I mean, that Philemon and Paul were so close that Paul's presuming Philemon knows the kinds of things he teaches in Romans and Corinthians and elsewhere. And that is, as we keep do, doing basically the, the basic Christian work, as we keep growing in our understanding of Christ, as we keep growing in our understanding of what he calls us to be and do, then these kinds of things that become the, the outflow of that, the pinnacle of that. And so, so it's, it's maybe it sounds like a cop-out, but it's kind of like that mundane thing. Like, what, what do I do then to grow the very practical things? You go to church. You get involved in the body of Christ. You be around other believers. You let them offend you and you figure out how to deal with it and you offend them. And then you figure out how to deal with it. You listen to sermons and you seek to understand and to grow in that understanding. You listen to teaching, you read the Bible. If you're literate and can read, you, you pray like basic spiritual disciplines. And as these things, not just as you learn these things, as they come to shape your thinking, so your mind is renewed, or as Paul says in Colossians 3, 1, your mind is set on things above, you're seeking things above, you're oriented around Christ, then these become the outworkings of that and begin to shape how we start treating other people and, and, and get us to that pinnacle or reaching toward it, at least maybe not arriving, but reaching toward it. That being the pinnacle and that being the ideal, beautiful. Unfortunately, it seems like sometimes we stand with a with Philemon and assume he says, no, thank you. Seems sometimes in the church, we take the less ideal route, right? Why is that? What causes believers on the flip side of things to not do what Paul is hoping Philemon will do, but to do the opposite? Why do we divide? Why do sheep bite each other? Why does this happen, Dr. Copenhagen? I wish I knew. Sin, <laughs> hard hearts, rebellion. Uh, I mean, to say it more graciously, it's hard, mm. it's countercultural, it's not easy, it, um, it demands something extraordinary from us. Yeah. And so we, I mean, all of us, myself included, we'd rather avoid the hard things. Mm. And so that's, that's probably the more sympathetic way to say our rebellious hearts say, no, thank you. I'd rather be angry. No, thank you. I'd rather just that person hurt me. And so now I should have nothing to do with them. You know, we'd rather make the easy conclusion. And, and by the way, I don't know if you're going to ask this or not, but so what happened? <laughs> One of the greatest cliffhangers in scripture, you know, what, what did Philemon Onesimus do? And so nobody knows for sure, but there's this little interesting tidbit that comes out Oh, maybe, maybe 30, 40 years after Paul wrote the letter to Philemon, maybe even a little long, actually it could be a little later than that, where, um, and now I'm going to forget off the top of my head, but where uh, an early church writer, one of the church fathers mentions the Bishop of Ephesus, Ephesus being kind of the, the large city, about a hundred miles from Colossae, kind of the, the regional center. And so there's a, a Bishop in Ephesus at this point in the church structure developed and this Bishop's name is Onesimus. So if Onesimus was a young man at the time Paul writes this letter, and if it's the same Onesimus, he would be an older man. He'd be about the right age if he lived this long to, to become a bishop of the church in Ephesus. Now, Onesimus was a relatively common name. There's no, no way of knowing if it's the same Onesimus or not. But here's what I like to think. Okay? Here's what I like to speculate. 
what if that is the same Onesimus who's now bishop of the entire region of churches, leading, shepherding this whole area of churches? How did how would Onesimus have come to be bishop? Mm-hmm. Well, could it be that Philemon and Onesimus figured this out? Could it be because Paul says to Philemon, I'm confident that you'll do even more than I ask in the letter, which is just so tantalizing. You know, say he says to Philemon, I'm confident as you figure out what Christ is all about and how all this plays out, you're going to take, you're going to go further with Philemon than with Onesimus than, than I'm even asking you to go as you figured this out on this trajectory of theological vision. Could it be that the day came when Philemon emancipated Onesimus and he was free? The day came when they sat side by side in the church, brothers in Christ. But then Philemon is a leader in the church, certainly hosting the church. Could the day have come when Onesimus was a leader alongside Philemon? Could the day have came if, if Philemon lived long enough when Onesimus was a leader over Philemon in the church? Could there have even been a day when maybe Philemon kept Onesimus as a slave and kept providing for his livelihood and so on, when Onesimus was Philemon's slave, but was a leader in the church over Philemon, where Philemon in one sense submits to Onesimus in the church, but yet provides for Onesimus in the home and Onesimus is submitted to Philemon. And could Philemon, you know, and then eventually Onesimus is bishop of the church and could Philemon have celebrated, or maybe assuming Philemon was older, could Philemon have celebrated from his grave that Onesimus is now leading and serving and blessing churches throughout the region. Like, it's like goosebumps thinking about mm-hmm. what this um, what this could have looked like. Yeah. And sometimes I'll tell people too that um, start thinking this through. We in, in our American and Canadian context, Western culture context, we think the the greatest evil here is that Philemon owned a slave, and that the greatest good would have been for Philemon to emancipate Onesimus and set him free. That's not the biblical vision per se. <laughs> that certainly could have been part of the something more. But Paul isn't saying to Philemon, set him free and send him off to go live his life somewhere else in freedom. Paul is saying, no, you're going to figure it out together. And I, and, and I, I don't know. Paul, almost like Paul saying, slave or free, I don't really care about that. Well, if you're beloved brothers, the rest of it will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say perhaps Onesimus could have remained Philemon's slave and yet been with Philemon's blessing, been able to serve and thrive and do all these things. And Philemon saying, I'll take care of you as far as the culture goes, Greco-Roman system, all that. You're free to share the gospel. You're free to serve. You're free to lead. You're free to do all these things. I keep speculating, but that's 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 what I like to think. Something like that played out in Colossae. Yeah. Well, it's powerful. And it is very consistent with Jesus with what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, the world will know you belong to me mm-hmm. by how you love one another. And you think of the eclectic group that made up those 12. They would not have been usually dining together and hanging out, and yet they learned to love one another across strata of culture. And here we have with Onesimus and Philemon, again, yeah. speculation aside, whatever the case may happen, they're being charged to love one another and submit to one another and edify one another. It's a beautiful picture and a high calling for every church 2,000 years later. Yeah, I mean, you, you can imagine, again, small town, <laughs> because I'm familiar with small towns. If they put this to work in their household, it would have had a dramatic, it would have been, I mean, 
people, it would have been a talk of town. Nobody's ever seen anything like this before. What is going on in Philemon's house over there? Like this is unusual, unheard of, the impact, which is also why I didn't mention this when we talked about Colossians, the end of Colossians chapter four, verses two through six, Paul says, by the way, when you're going out and walking all that, living with wisdom, do it toward outsiders and be prepared to answer the questions when they ask questions. I mean, now you can, we can imagine like, what, why would they ask questions? What kind of questions would they ask? If I was Joe Pagan walking down the street of Colossae and I saw what was going on in Philemon's house, I'd have a lot of questions about what is taking place over there. So the, you can imagine, like I can imagine at least the, the trickle effect and the impact and how this would resonate throughout town. Well, thank you for your time and your expertise and your enthusiasm, Dr. Copenhaver. So appreciate it and helping us understand Philemon a little bit better. Yeah, well, I hope it's helpful to you, to your congregation. It's just such a fascinating book, and I hope it blesses you and your folks. Thanks for joining us this week. For more information about Oak Ridge Bible Chapel, the ministries of the church, or for more resources like this one, please visit oakridgebiblechapel.org. And make sure to join us next week as together we make our way through the Bible cover to cover.